when I started a book club a few years ago at St. Luke's Long Beach. It brought a few parishioners out of the woodwork who normally didn't show up for church things, in part because our book choices were secular and not specifically religious, it fed a hunger for discussions about the world, yet as seen through the lens of our faith. One person who came every time was Tim. Most people didn't know Tim because he kept to himself. Morbidly obese, he sat off to one side on Sundays, coming up to receive communion in special shower slippers, open-toed and Velcroed to cover his overly large feet. At book club, when Tim spoke, we were all blown away. Intelligent, well-read, and funny. His face lit up as he thoughtfully engaged in conversation, sage wisdom and mischievous humor mixing in his twinkling eyes. Everyone fell in love with him. After about a year and a half, Tim stopped showing up to church. It took some time to notice because we figured he was like many churchgoers, busy with something else or off on vacation. But when he missed our second book club meeting in a row, people began asking after him. They missed him, and we worried. I tried to reach him in every way possible for about a month until finally he responded with a short email that looked like an automatic reply. Hi. I've fallen into one of my depressions and need to spiral down for a while. Don't take it personally, but I will not be responding in any way to communications. Thanks for your understanding. I never heard from nor saw him again. But I did know he was alive because he kept up his pledge to the church. I still emailed and phoned him occasionally, telling him we missed him and threatening to show up on his doorstep. But he never replied, and I never followed through on my threat. Too busy, I guess, and honestly, afraid of what I'd find. Tim isn't the best example because his depression was something he couldn't quite help. But here's why I tell you this story. He had such gifts for community and connection. For a while, he even assisted a few Ugandan refugees we were helping to resettle. But fear overwhelmed him, and he felt he had to bury those talents. And with them died the chance for us to learn from him, to show him we loved him, and to thrive within that currency of relationship we call community. Today's parable of the talents entrusted to the master's slaves makes this point pretty forcefully. But first, a few historical facts for you. In the time of Jesus, a talent was a huge sum of money, equal to 15 years' wages for a day laborer, enough for a poor person to live on for that long. In the Greco-Roman world back then, entrusting such sums to a responsible slave was not that uncommon. A rich man with vast properties often traveled about to check on his lands, so leaving slaves or servants to run his estates and affairs was necessary. We can infer that the servant given five talents was more trustworthy than the one given a single talent, and sure enough, he proves his worth. As for the third slave burying his talent in the ground, that was actually seen as a valid security measure in those days. Also, in case you didn't know, the word for talent used in this parable for a sum of money 
is the source for our own definition of the word, a particular aptitude or skill. So using this parable as an analogy for how we use or squander our talents is not just silly wordplay. It's, it's where our definition of that word comes from. Okay, that's enough background. If the wealthy landowner is God, and we are the servants entrusted with various talents to use, then the master's return signals the reckoning we will be asked to make in the eschaton, or end times. Call it judgment day if you like. When you stand before God, what will you have to say for how you used the talents entrusted to you? Will you happily report, I stepped outside my comfort zone and took risks with what you gave me, using and sharing my gifts to double the amount of grace in that part of the world you left in my care? Will you say, I used my abilities as currency to transact love and compassion with others, risking my own security for a greater good in your name? Or will you have to admit before God, you know, I was scared of change and risk. I didn't want you to think badly of me if I failed in life. So I kept it simple, buried and hoarded my abilities, shared them with no one, trying not to care too much about anyone else except my nearest and dearest whom I could trust. And so here you are, God. I return to you the exact amount of grace and talents you gave me to use. No more, no less. No change or transformation transacted. Do you see how that might be disappointing to God? When Matthew finishes this story with that terrible sentence, as for this slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew being his usual intense self and threatening self. But it's also written so that we readers understand just how serious an offense, I want to say, this is to God. I'm not, I'm not ready to say you'll be thrown into hell if you don't use your gifts. But I do believe God is saddened when we squander what we've been given. When we are selfish or we live in fear of life and relationship. So the words are harsh, but they're meant to drive home the seriousness of this lapse in discipleship. This reading, this particular reading, comes around once every three years in our lectionary cycle, conveniently during stewardship season for most churches. Here at St. Luke's, we are living in a time of hope and longing for transformation. Your numbers are down. Some of you feel stuck and weary. And some of you are afraid this parish will die if it continues on its current trajectory. So you hired me, God love you, to enliven you and help you grow. That's what I'm here for. But you have to do your part. Now is not the time to sit back and let Father do it. Now is not the time to bury your talents out of fear. The time is now to take risks. And yes, by that I do mean increasing your pledge. I'll speak later about the shortfall and pledges we have to meet for our 2018 budget. But I also mean this. Be willing to volunteer in ways you haven't before. 
Be willing to risk change and feel discomfort if things aren't always just the way you like them around here. You can't expect to grow by ossifying. Unlike seeds, churches don't blossom by being buried in the ground and remaining unchanged. This parable is about more than simply using your talents and not hiding them. It's even about more than increasing your pledge in stewardship season. This parable is about risking failure to attain transformation. Those slaves who doubled their master's money only did so by doing something scary. They hazarded loss and set aside fear in the hope of reaping rewards. And that's what we must do here at St. Luke's in the coming months and years. But as the biblical writer John Buchanan notes, the point here is not really about doubling your money and accumulating wealth. It is about living. It is about investing. It is about taking risks. And the greatest risk of all, it turns out, is not to risk anything. Not to care deeply and profoundly enough about anything to invest deeply. To give your heart away. And in the process, risk everything. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is to play it safe. To live cautiously and prudently. In other words, trying and failing is better than not trying at all. I know that many of us come to church for comfort, and that's one reason we're here. But being a disciple of Christ is not really about comfort and security, as he himself showed us in his life and death. It's about transformation, as he showed us in his resurrection. Please don't take this as a scold. But please also don't hear this as just another interesting sermon that you can tuck away and forget about. This is life or death stuff. In fact, Jesus tells us we're already dead if we don't even dare to live. Not just in church, but everywhere you have an opportunity to touch another life, to share your wisdom and wit, to be generous with the currency of your time and talents, to risk opening your heart and inviting someone in. And it's completely up to you. God does not leave you with instructions on how to use the talents you've been given. But there will be a reckoning, not just in the end times, but even daily, if you let it, where you will be asked to consider whether you've risked anything to achieve a greater good. It's never too late to begin. Yesterday was Tim's birthday, the fellow I was telling you about. I sent him a message on Facebook wishing him well. And while he didn't reply, he did send out a general thanks for all the birthday wishes. So he's still alive out there, and that gives me hope. My prayer for him, and for you, and for me, is that we one day unbury ourselves and let go of what we cling to so closely, risking an uncertainty whose outcome will only ever be seen in the light of day. <laughs>